0: Leaving religion is a call to adventure. That's what it is. It's a call to adventure. As humans, we labor to erect sturdy, safe cathedrals to protect our lives. We want easy, affordable religion, something that doesn't demand too much of us. Well, when Rome's emperor Nero turned against Christians in the mid-60s, Jewish believers found an easy solution, Judaism. As a religion recognized by Rome, joining the synagogue offered safety. But worship, vocation, God cannot be squeezed into our safe cathedrals. So Hebrews calls these believers and us tonight into an adventure. Something that's costly, but... Transformative to journey the long, difficult road of faith. Engaging Jesus's life means departing from religion's cathedral. And so have we seen through the four studies in Hebrews thus far, the cathedral and religion is not necessarily any institution within Christianity, but it is It can be, but it is the many other things that all of us in this room have erected our lives around to give ourselves an easy way of walking with Jesus. Something that doesn't produce a lot of risk, or in other words, to use our vernacular of tonight in our passage, something that doesn't cause us to actually exercise faith. And what Jesus is calling the Hebrews of the day when Rome is persecuting the church into is, hey, are you going to follow me and exercise faith despite the fact that it might cost you something? Is is, is your faith that true? So tonight we're going to see 18 examples of that (laughs) in our passage, chapter 11. Uh, But we got to first start with the challenging chapter 10. And you will see that this all goes together. It's very uh, intentional what our speaker in Hebrews is doing. So let's look at 10 verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Instead, a fearful expectation of judgment, a fiery, a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So as an example, in the Old Testament, they had a bad end if you rejected the law of Moses. So in other words now, verse 29, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? So if you got punished for rejecting Moses' law back then, how much more for rejecting God's son and spurning his gospel and the Holy Spirit? 34, we know him who said, again, uh, who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God but God loves you no matter what you do. And there's grace. So go settle that. All right. Let's No, this. This is, this is the challenge here, right? Because we know from Paul and we know in other places, the scripture that God is a God of love. And he showed that love by coming and becoming a human, by bridging the gap between us and him and coming to us, taking that initiative and becoming one of us and dying for us. He showed us, he loves us. And so We've been raised with the gospel that God is a God of love and he's constantly going to be there for us. And you know what? There's nowhere his love can't reach. So if you fall away, come back. He will always take you back. Prodigal son. It's from the mouths of Jesus himself. The parable about the son that went away, came back and was received. Duh. And then we read this passage, and we're like, I don't know what to do with it. I feel bad now. Let's uh, either ignore it, or people can get really worked up over a passage like this. Like, basically, 26 again, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So, in other words, you're out of luck. You sin in that way. No forgiveness. You're done Yeah, that chills. <laughs> this, though, however, we need to understand with the context of the book we've been talking about, the the, the danger the Christians in Rome have been facing, uh, the temptation to hide in the synagogue so that they don't get persecuted. But remember, the reality is you don't just walk in the synagogue and hide. They're like, oh, you're a Christian. We don't want Rome to beat us up because you're harboring and finding safety in us. So you need to deny Jesus if you're going to hide with us. That's what they're facing, right? Remember that? So there's this, there's this temptation for them to escape persecution by denying Jesus. With that context in mind, I think verse 26 makes a little more of a clearer sense when we read this. For if we go on sinning deliberately... Now, it isn't merely I'm caught in a situation, do I tell the truth or lie... And you know full well that you're at the crossroads of decision. And you choose to lie to save your skin. That's not the context here. Oh gosh, Jesus can't forgive me because I consciously chose a sin. We would all be in trouble. The context here with the sin, you go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. In other words, we're dealing with Christians. They've received the knowledge of the truth. But if they yet, despite that, choose to go in a direction of sin... Not, oh, I'm struggling, I'm still addicted to alcohol, yet I'm a Christian. Oh, no, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about, I have received Jesus, and now because of certain circumstances, I am choosing once and for all to deliberately step into sin and go that way forever. He's talking about people that have wiped, like Pilate, have washed their hands of Jesus and said, I'm done. These people, he says, no longer have a sacrifice for sins. And it isn't that God says, well, you made a bad decision, so hmm, I'm not going to forgive your sins anymore. No, no, no. The point is, if you have rejected Jesus, where in the world are you going to find forgiveness for sins? Do do you see the point now? That's how it's saying. You have no more forgiveness. If you deliberately go away from Jesus, because where are you going to get forgiveness? If you haven't chosen to receive it in him, there is nowhere. We had that all last week about how, okay, yes, the Torah and the, the Old Testament, they had like their sacrifices and those worked, but you had to keep offering them. And then we saw how Jesus trumped all of those by making one sacrifice forever so that we don't have to keep on going backwards and asking for more forgiveness. But he forgives us and we keep moving forward with him. Like he made the point last week that his forgiveness, his sacrifice is the great forgiving of the world. So... If his offer of forgiveness is the only offer of forgiveness, as he showed us, then what are you going to do if you walk away? What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? All you have by making that choice is destruction. So it's not necessarily making an ultimatum, oh, you made a bad choice, no chance, even if you want to come back to Jesus. Sorry, that's not the point. The point is, if you don't want to stay with Jesus, then where are you going to find forgiveness? And it's just a great logical question. And, of course, the answer is Nowhere. So here, what comes across as a threat at the beginning actually turns out to be an encouragement to stick with it because Jesus is worth even dying for. So stick with it. So now he's going to take on that more positive tone in verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened. So again, remember those days when you first got saved? You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Remember how you did do that back in the day? You, you already endured hardship with sufferings. So why can't you do that now? Keep staying with Jesus no matter what comes your way. So here's some examples of the sufferings they used to endure. Verse 33, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so uh, with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. There's an elusive reference there to what he's going to be talking about throughout the upcoming verses. Your future reward. So we see that they've already been going through public shame. Some of them thrown in prison and Many had joyfully accepted the plundering of their property because it was just temporary compared to their future forever inheritance. So they've already gone through this and they were faithful and they kept on going. So he's saying, remember that you guys can do it now. You can do it now. You've done it. You can do it again. Verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward for you have need of endurance, keep going, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You see this parallel here? He in 35 says, don't throw out your confidence. And then 36 says, you have need to endure. So don't throw it away, but endure. Uh, then the end of 35 says, you have a great reward. The end of 36 says so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So you have reward. You have a promise that you're going to receive. That's the idea. Go, keep going, keep going, endure, endure, like Jesus did all the way to the cross keep going because there's a reward for those who keep enduring so keep going guys he's encouraging him again he's encouraging him 37 here he puts together two old testament passages from isaiah and habakkuk uh this was a common practice in their day so we read yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay the coming one is his reference to jesus But my righteous one, Christians, shall live by faith or faithfulness, it can read. The Greek does not specify between faith and faithfulness here. So my righteous one shall live by faith or he shall live by faithfulness, which uh, would fit the context of endurance. Enduring, being faithful to your path, right? Being faithful to Jesus So my righteous one will live by faith, faithfulness. And if he shrinks back or if he quits, my soul has no pleasure in him. So his comment now, the author's comment, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. Right, guys? We're not those people at all. We're not going to shrink back and be destroyed. No, but we are those who have faith and preserve their souls so basically we are the faithful ones the righteous ones who will live by our faithfulness we will endure with jesus we don't have to worry about the threat of no more forgiveness because we're not leaving him we're sticking with him to the end even if the plundering of our property and all those things in the past are happening again or our heads are being chopped off whatever it is we're going to keep going And that's his encouragement here is he's really, this is like a pep rally. And he's saying, come on, guys, endurance. We can do this. We can go the distance. Speaking of going the distance, speaking of faith and faithfulness, he launches into our great chapter 11, the heroes of the faith, right? Or some call the hall of faith. It's where the famous ones dwell. So that's, that's what leads him into this long discussion in chapter 11 of faith. And we're going to look at that. But first, the question eating at the back of my mind and eating at the back of some of your minds is, what does he mean if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him? We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. What does that mean? So if I am no longer faithful to Jesus, I go to hell? Rather than putting words in the author's mouth that are not there, We're going to put only the words in his mouth that he's allowed us to put in his mouth. Let us remember what happened in chapters 3 and 4. What happened in part 1? Well, in part 1, he called he used the Israelites as an example of those whom he called into his adventure. God called them into an adventure. They were walking with God through the wilderness. And remember how he brings them up to their reward, their promised land inheritance. He brings them up to the promised land and at the border of the promised land, they send in spies, find out, Oh my gosh, the land is better than we thought it was. It's amazing. Look at these grapes as two people are struggling under a pole, trying to hold them up. Right? (laughs) Big bowling ball grapes. like, look at these it's amazing and then he's like but oh oh, no there are people big enough to eat these grapes and we looked like grasshoppers in their sight and that's when everybody lost it it says and that they wanted to choose a leader to take them back to egypt and Hebrews was calling that the great rebellion. That was when Israel rebelled against God because they did not have faith. It says that they, through unbelief, did not enter into the promised land. And then he later said, because of their disobedience, they did not enter into the promised land. So we saw that they were not trusting Jesus in the wilderness, but they were doubting him and saying, I don't think you have our best interests in mind. We don't want to take your path at all. And that moment of, of no faith, that faithlessness, unfaithful. Hebrews said was an act of disobedience and they lost out. So here is the concept. He's he's coming back to this idea of sticking with Jesus and trusting him in the wilderness, in that place where you don't know what's going on and you have no more security in the cathedral somewhere far behind you. Trust him. Keep going. Don't be like them and have unbelief and then go on the 40 year death march where the whole generation dies off, but enter into life that God has for you. So that's the idea when he says, we're not those who shrink back and are destroyed. He's hearkening back to the earlier part of Hebrews. Don't be like the Israelites in the wilderness. Let's press into the promised land. Can we do it? Is it possible? The Israelites failed. And now our author says, yes, it's possible. Here are many examples. So let me show you that this is possible. Chapter 11 by faith. Now I have in my Bible... All the by faith phrases highlighted in blue. So in the ESV translation, there's a total of 18 blues in here by faith said 18 times. This is 18 examples of those who have been faithful to Jesus. And so, yes, Hebrews, yes, Calvary Chapel, we can persevere and endure. So imagine a long parade of heroes who've gone the distance and then the author of Hebrews is saying, let's join the last float and go with them. How are we going to do this? Well, we see by faith. But I want to step back one second because it sounds like right now we're calling ourselves into a very hard life, right? And do it no matter what by faith. Look at what all these people gave up and they made it. And like, uh, that's not what I heard when that gospel man called me forward and I got saved. I heard like pink unicorns and cotton candy religion stuff like god's got a plan for you and it's gonna be awesome and you're gonna live your best life yet and the new you and all this stuff Like, ah, this is not sounding like the same thing. So what is in it for us, you might wonder, other than, so I don't go to hell, what does God have in it for us to follow him through such hardship? Like, why why can we say, yes, go through hardship, but trust Jesus, because he has his best, he has your best interest in mind for you. So just trust him, even if you're going to die. It looks kind of sick, right? So it's very important that we don't miss the little nuance before we go forward. Okay. And this is it. We need to understand the reason we're called to endure is because we are promised a reward. The reason we're called to endure is because we were promised a reward. Yes. Jesus has his, has your best interest in mind. So again, look with me again at 35 and 36 at the risk of sounding repetitive. It's important to see. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward that's why you should endure for you have need of endurance so that here's the purpose so that when you have done the will of god when you've trusted him and followed him and obeyed him you may receive what is promised that is why the need for endurance little vague on what happens if you don't endure. But again, remember, it does not guarantee hell. Don't go there. Don't put words in his mouth. But we do see the positive message is very clear. You have a great reward. And so will these 18 examples that we're about to look at. How do we endure? How do we go forward and get this reward? Well, here are our examples. So let's now. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Faith is how we're going to do this. Now, faith, he says, is the assurance or the substance of things hoped for, the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. In other words, their acceptance, their applause, their praise from God. Faith is what got that for them. Now, here's our first by faith. People miss this, but verse 3 is the first one. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Our first example is not a human. It's creation. Our first example of faith is creation. Mind-blowing. We don't go to Genesis 1 and say, all right, how do I live by faith? We don't think that way. We're Western people who like to argue. So we go to Genesis 1 and say, All right, evolutionists, how can I kill you? (laughs) Intellectually, of course. (laughs) Um, That's where we go. But here, our author in Hebrews says, Uh uh, the first example of faith is creation. God spoke his word, Genesis 1 3, right? Let there be light. And he does so for seven days speaking. And what happens is there is obedience, there's response. So he says, Let there be light, and there's light. Let there be land, and there's land. Let there be animals, there are animals. There were no oops moments where what he said, the result came out differently than what he said, or it happened differently than he intended. In every part of the creation account, he speaks and it happens and he says it's good. So how does this fit with faith? Well, he tells us so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, what we see was made from things we don't see this is very simple it's in the text already so what is the seeable part what is the visible part it's the universe that's visible what is the invisible part what from that verse is the invisible part it's the word of god i'm speaking words but you can't see my words they're invisible and the same thing when god said let there be light nobody can see words let there be light i mean we can see written thing on page but you can't see his audible voice you can't see that but when light responded in obedience you can see that So what's happening is his invisible word goes out, the creation responds, and his word, which was invisible, becomes visible in the creation. So everything that we see in the universe is a result of its obedience to the invisible word of God. So his invisible word has now become visible. We can see his word around us, which very, very mind-blowingly says very clearly that creation is actually the Bible we had before the Bible Creation was the revelation before God spoke to Moses and gave him the Torah. Creation was the revelation before Jesus came and the word became flesh. The invisible word became physical and tangible flesh and blood, which leads us to realize that this is what faith is. Faith is the incarnation of God's invisible word. Faith is when I put flesh and blood upon what God is and what he does and what he's asking me to do. God speaks. And when I respond in obedience and endurance, then I am putting flesh and blood in my life. My life is putting flesh and blood around the word of God. So that in a sense, faith is an incarnation of the invisibleness of our God. And isn't that what our author just told us? See, we're working backwards. In verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And that's what faith is. And so what we now have is with our examples forthcoming, we've seen the first one in creation, but the next few examples, we're going to see the same pattern. God speaks to them. They respond, and through their obedience and their faithful endurance, Flesh and blood or concrete, something you can see is formed around the invisible God. And so now we have proof. And that's that's what it means when it says witness. Later on, it's going to say we have these witnesses in chapter 12. These witnesses, they're proof of our God. And so this is what the author is calling us to do. Incarnate the word of God. That's faith. Now, this leads us to realize this very, very, very important distinction that faith was never meant to be a matter of the head, it was meant to be a matter of the heart. Or, put another way, faith was never meant to be limited to theological discussion or systems and doctrines of belief but was meant to be more. Now, granted, we must enter into faith in a sort of head level. You hear the gospel. There's things we have to believe about God. Um, We're going to call this theological faith, theology, the study of God, theological faith. So there are things you need to know about God, right? If you're going to follow him, if you're going to believe in him, there's something to believe in. So I have to have some sort of a theological faith. And America's very good. We have libraries and libraries of books describing the theological faith we have. We have seminaries and schools and years of learning to tell us about the theological faith that we have. But what we don't do very good at is getting to part two of faith, the relational faith. We have a theological faith down. We fight over this and we argue about this, but we don't do as well at the relational faith. Now, the reason theological faith is not enough. I know this about God. I believe this about God. I'm good. (laughs) The reason that's not sufficient is because of James 2.9. What do you not know? Even the demons believe which leads me to reckon that uh, we are poor theologians because I bet the devil's the best theologian yet. He knows more about God than we do. And yet we're trying to earn our place with God, to get our way to heaven, to establish the true church through theological faith. Really? It's important. As verse 6 shows you, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And, oh, by the way, that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. There's your reward. Uh, but, so it is important. But if all we have is a theological faith and we, we tell people that they get to heaven by what they mentally agree uh, about God and who he is, we're blowing it. We have theological faith, but then we must, we must, and this is what all of these examples have done and what Hebrews is asking us to do, we must then go to relational faith. And relational faith is exactly what he's showing us. It's the incarnating of the word of God. It's the making visible that which is invisible because of our response to it. So this is what relational faith is. well, theological faith is really emphasizing belief, 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 Relational faith is emphasizing trust, trust, trust. How do I know if I have reached relational faith? How do I know that I'm not stuck in this demonic, devilish uh, theological faith? I don't mean to make it sound like it's demonic, but the part that demons get. Well, ask yourself this. When God speaks, do I obey And do I endure? Because that's what our examples did. Do I obey? And do I endure? Because obedience and endurance are evidence of our trust. I will not obey if I do not trust. I will not endure through the flame and through the flood and through the suffering if I do not trust. But if I trust, I must Obey and endure. So we know that we have relational faith because our trust produces obedience and endurance. And you might remember, you don't, if you're quick at turning, you might go back to four verse six, where it says that um, Israel failed to enter because of disobedience. 319 says they failed to enter because of unbelief. There you see the connection, a lack of trust, a lack of obedience. But here we're being told trust means obedience and endurance. So there you have the negative presentation in part one, chapters three and four, the positive presentation here tonight, part two, chapters 10 and 11. So ask yourself that question. These people we know are in good hands. So verse four, we have uh, example number two. We have Abel who offers to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Um, Even though he dies, it's it's fitting he starts um, after creation. He starts with this figure because the Hebrews may be facing death. And what they need to realize is, look, though Abel died uh, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And that's, that's saying, yes, his faith is still speaking to us today, but Abel's not dead. Then you have the faith of Enoch, who pleased God and was taken away. And then verse 7, we have the example of Noah, who was warned by God concerning events yet unseen and in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So he got his reward. Then we have the big example, Abraham. Abraham was an example of the kind of faith that goes on God's adventure and seeks to endure to the end through it. He was called out of his homeland to a land he has not seen, out of his cathedral into the unknown, into the wilderness. He trusts God all the way through. He trusts God so much that not just going to some strange land, he's willing to offer his only son. Though God didn't really want him to kill his son, he wanted to test his faith to see if he trusted God. Abraham trusted God. How do you know? Because he obeyed. He was willing to offer Isaac and not only, okay, God, I'll do it and get to the mountain and then chicken out all the way to the point that the knife was almost going to come down. That's endurance. Abraham had relational faith. And so he becomes a big example. So verse eight, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went uh, and he went out not knowing where he was going true adventure man he this guy was in it by faith he went uh to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with isaac and jacob why tents speaks of temporariness right they didn't have their eternal inheritance reward yet so um verse 10 we see for he was looking forward to the city the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Well, that's the new Jerusalem. He'll tell us that in chapter 12. We will learn of that in Revelation chapter 21, the new Jerusalem. (laughs) Abraham realized that God had a great reward for him. So you know what? What is my homeland? I can go on this adventure with God. What is my son? (laughs) A lot. But I can trust God because the new Jerusalem is my reward. And that's how he did it. He kept looking to the reward and that enabled him to endure. That enabled him to be faithful, to by faith. So Sarah is also mentioned by faith. And then at verse 13, we have a little break. And this is a commentary where we're reminded once again, because we need reminding of our reward. Our reward again. Verse 13 These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. What? So there's this reward for endurance. And then he mentions, well, I should probably mention that none of them actually received their reward yet. They all died and never saw it. So good chance it's going to happen to you too. But they haven't received it yet. And he's going to bring this up at the end again, just so they remember. But having seen them, the things promised, their reward, having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, a true homeland, the New Jerusalem. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return, they would have quit, they would not have endured. Right? The true hero's journey. You leave, you go the distance, and then you receive the reward and usually uh, offer it to help other people. Uh, So here we see they, they didn't go back. They were looking for the reward. They're going forward. 16, again, clearly our reward. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. Interlude over, back to Abraham, and this is where he's tested up to offer Isaac. Uh, Then, verse 20, we jump down to Isaac. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of those sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. You know what I find beautiful about this is we have a chain of faith. It isn't just random examples, but it's Abraham. Then it's his son, by faith Isaac. And uh, he gave blessings on Jacob. So then by faith Jacob. And he then he blessed his son uh, Joseph. And then by faith Joseph. You see how it was connected and it was extended. It was the one who was faithful to God extended that faithfulness to his descendant. And that descendant extended the faithfulness to his descendant and so forth. So that though we bemoan the decline of belief in God in the Western culture, I want to bemoan first, because I guess I don't blame our Western culture for doubting our God when we haven't done a sufficient job at living faithful ourselves and passing that on to our own kids, let alone those around us. And so it's important that we see faithfulness having this chain, that as we grow in our faithfulness, we look for those to drag along, drag sometimes literally, drag along with us in the faith and teach them as well. That, you know what? God is worth trusting. We can obey and endure in him. All right, so then we come to the second biggest figure. We had Abraham and Moses, 23, by faith Moses. When he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated. Now, imagine you're the Hebrews in your Roman context of persecution. You're hearing this. This is for you. For he chose rather uh, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. His case Egypt safety cathedral their case Rome safety cathedral maybe even Judaism he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt and you might be reading that going what in the world did Moses see that I didn't this for he was looking to the reward By faith, he left Egypt, and then he goes on and tells us the Exodus story, how they left Egypt, again, leaving, departing. That's part of the adventure. Uh, he kept the Passover. Then 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. 31, by faith, Rahab the prostitute? That was a good list until now. At least we think prostitute is of those mentioned as an example of faith. Maybe she couldn't help where she landed. And this was the only way she could survive. But you know what happened is she had a chance to rise up when the spies came to Jericho and she received them. That act of obedience to God's word erased a life of prostitution also significant that our author includes women in a world which this would not have been seen as a very impressive example men ruled the day then and men were the examples a woman can have faith what is this you implying that she's a leader of faith yeah (laughs) hebrews is saying the unspeakable in their culture um then we come so that's the that we we saw the uh 18 by faiths we then see seven specific examples seven names and it's kind of just like this rush like i could keep on going forever so let me just finish with these seven and be done <laughs> so 32 and what more shall i say for time would fail to tell me of gideon Barak, samson Jephthah, and david and samuel and of the prophets poor prophets they're always clumped as one Give Isaiah a bone. Come on. (laughs) And then he explains the horrendous things they went through. The strength of endurance they displayed all because of their trust in God. Um, Look at this. At the end of 35, they refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. They had the reward in mind. Now, 39. All these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Second time he said that. Just remember, you may not see it in this world. But God had a better plan. Verse 40. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Wow. It's part of the reward. We go to the New Jerusalem and we're made perfect Which could mean faultless, but it more likely means mature and complete and whole. Um, So we get the New Jerusalem. We get that perfection. And best of all, those who died before us have been held off so that we can all inherit it together. Catch this. Nobody's gotten in before you, so it's like, oh, I'm just like number two billion three hundred and seventy-five. God's like, here's another one. No, like, did even notice? Did anybody notice I just walked in? (laughs) Oh, there's Paul. Of course, everybody's around Paul right now. Nobody noticed I got here. There's Chuck. Hey, Chuck. He doesn't even notice me. There's five million people are at his church service right now. Like, that's not what's gonna happen. We all at the same time have a great homecoming heroes welcome grand feast and we all are equals at that moment that's the better plan that's why they didn't receive that's why you may not receive your reward in this life because we will all inherit it together at once at the same time the heroes welcome the faithful ones coming in with all their battle scars and everything to say ah my perfect ones let's be refreshed and healed and renewed forever and ever and ever and as the bible ends amen (laughs) So with all of that beauty described for us, the parade was shown, come join, we can endure, keep your eyes on the reward. He comes to the climax of his whole argument. Chapter 12, I know it's not in your, you know, it's not in our notes. We're going to chapter 12 now. I'm just doing two verses, so. 12 verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, since we've seen such a great parade of our heroes, since there's so much proof, of the faithfulness and trustworthiness of God, let us also, small word I missed until like yesterday, let us also, so they've all done what he's about to say. We're joining them in this strategy for endurance. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so easily Yes, I'm quoting from memory, the New King James. That's not what my Bible says. <laughs> uh, that's what Let us uh, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Or yes, as I was saying, the New King James. Um, weight and sin are two different things. You notice that. Let us lay aside every weight and sin. So I like the sin part is pretty clear. It's like, okay, that's really not going to help you in this endurance thing. It's actually going to pull you back. There are weights also that are not sins, but they're hindrances. And we must ask when our call to adventure comes and our call in that adventure to endurance is put to the test are we carrying too much baggage to make it up the hill? Are we carrying things on the adventure that we don't need? You'll find out very quickly in your drought what is holding you back. And either we're going to lay aside these weights or we're going to plop down under their burden and say, I can't go. These are holding me back. These are the cathedral. But what exactly that is in your life is more specific to you. This can be family, relationships, friends, those things. Maybe you're being called away. I can't leave my family. Or maybe you're called to a new way of raising people or living, but my family would think poorly of me. Fear. Fear can be holding us back. You know, what's going to happen? I don't, we're always afraid. Uh, that's a weight that needs to go. And by the way, back on the family thing, did not Jesus tell us, unless you love me more than mother, brother, father, sister, you're not worthy of following me? That's the, these cannot become weights. Yes, we're to love them and to honor them, but they can't hold us back from by faith, from endurance. Um, a weight might be tradition. It might be the good old, we've never done it that way before. Or I can't go against what I've always done kind of a thing. It might be busyness. I'm too important here. And because we're surrounded ourselves with so many tasks and activities, I'm too important. I can't give this up. Or maybe the greatest burden in our culture, possessions. Maybe we have a mortgage. Maybe we have a lot of stuff. Maybe it's just this Western idea that what I own is who I am. That's my value. And if I follow Jesus there, I may not be able to support this anymore. I do know people that have done that. That's a weight that has to go. Possessions, seriously? They're actually killing us, they're suffocating our soul. It's no wonder we're such a spiritless society because we have a possessed desire for possessions. That's a weight. I didn't think we had a lot, we just moved, and I was appalled at our possessions. (laughs) Right? Anybody who's moved, like you understand. And why is it that our society, we have to have yard sales every year because we accumulate more than we need. That's, again, this is not a sin per se, but it is a weight. And I wonder how much of us misadventure in faith because stuff that keeps on needing to be maintained and keeps us planted and makes us literally having all these possessions make us pretend we're in heaven before we're there like, oh, I've got such a cozy life. I woke up this morning and had pancakes and coffee and I just listened to the rain and waited to go to church. And like, that seriously is utopia to so many people in the rest of the world. Because we have so much stuff and safety and this is a weight. And it's not wrong to have, but we do need to make sure we have it only to the point it doesn't own us. And honestly, I can do with less. And that's something Brittany and I have been talking about especially as we have a kid and hopefully more in the future, like that can get chaotic. And I bet that's where all of you lost the handle. (laughs) Um, We just have to be careful about our possessions. So, so here's the call. Um, Let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us. End of one. Let us run the race. With endurance as set before us. In the Greek, that is the verb. That's the center verb. All of the text is surrounding this called run. It, the, the Greek is using an active verb and it's calling you, this is what you're to do. You're to run, so go. And then when it says laying aside weights, that's a participle in the Greek, which basically means this is a verb that supports the main verb. So in other words, you're to run. This is what I'm calling you to do. Run with endurance by laying aside your weights. And secondly, by, verse 2, looking to Jesus. This is how we run. We lay aside our weights and we look to Jesus. Who, by the way, the phrase by faith has vanished. But it's very clear that this was what the author is building up to. Yes, a parade of faithful people, but none compares to Jesus. And here's why. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. How? who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sounds like Moses despising Egypt, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus did exactly, this is why this is a climatic finish to this exhortation to endure. Jesus finished, or Jesus did exactly what our author has been asking us to do the whole time endure by seeking the reward what did jesus do he endured the cross and got the reward he is seated at the right hand of god the crown is his because in other places of the scripture because of his faithfulness to obey the father to trust the father even to the point of death even death on a cross And so the Hebrews are being massively invited. Trust Jesus in this wilderness and you will join the hero list of faith. You will join Jesus in the reward. So may the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you this week. May he protect you through the wilderness. May he protect you through the storm. And may he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you along the way. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Let's pray.